Chapter 9 of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Haywood Brune. Chapter 9 For Old Nassau. Wadsworth Camp, we find, has done almost as much for Princeton in his novel The Guarded Heights as Meet Minninger Road has accomplished for Yale in the big year. George Morton might never have gone to any college if it had not been for Sylvia Planter. He was enamoured of her from the very beginning when old Planter engaged him to accompany his daughter on rides but his admiration did not become articulate until she fell off her horse. She seems to have done it extremely well. He saw her horse refuse, writes Mr. Camp, straightening his knees and sliding in the marshy ground. He watched Sylvia, with an ease and grace nearly unbelievable, somersault across the hedge and out of sight in the meadow beyond. It seemed to us that the horse should have received some of the credit for the ease with which Sylvia shot across the hedge, but young Morton was much too intent upon the fate of his goddess to have eyes for anything else. When he found her lying on the ground she was unconscious, and so he told her of his love. That brought her to, and she called him, You! you stable boy and so george decided to go to college his high school preparation had been scant and irregular he went to princeton and after two months cramming passed all his examinations football attracted him from the first as a means to the advancement which he desired with surprised eyes writes our author he saw estates as extravagant as Oakmont, and frequently in better taste. Little by little he picked up the names of the families that owned them. He told himself that some day he would enter those places as a guest, bowed to by such servants as he had been. It was possible, he promised himself bravely, if only he could win a Yale or a Harvard game. Perhaps this explains why one meets so few Princeton men socially. Some, we have found, are occasionally invited to drop in after dinner. These, we assume, are recruited from the ranks of those Princetonians who have tied Yale or Harvard, or at least held the score down. Like Mr. Minnigerot, Mr. Camp employs symbolism in his story. In the Yale novel we had Corliss evidently standing for Coy. Just which Princeton hero George Morton represents, we are not prepared to say. In fact, the only Princeton name which comes to mind at the moment is that of Big Bill Edwards, who used to sit in a customs house and throw them all for a loss. Morton can hardly be intended for Edwards, because it seems unlikely that anybody would ever have engaged Big Bill to ride horses. No, 
not even to break them. A little further on, however, we are introduced to the Princeton coach, a certain Mr. Stringham. Here, to be sure, identification is easy. Stringham, we haven't a doubt, is Roper. We could wish Mr. Camp had been more subtle. He might, for instance, have called him Cordier. In some respects, Morton proved an even better football player than Corliss. He did not score any greater number of touchdowns, but he had more of an air with him. Thus, in the account of the Harvard game, it is recorded, Then, with his interference blocking and tumbling, George yielded to his old habit and slipped off to one side at a hazard. The enemy's secondary defense had been drawing in. There was no one near enough to stop him within those ten yards, and he went over for a touchdown and casually kicked the goal. Eventually, George Morton did get asked to all the better houses, but still Sylvia spurned him. "'Go away and don't bother me,' was the usual form of her replies to his ardent words of wooing. Naturally, he knew that he had her on the run. A man who had taken more than one straight arm squarely in the face during the course of his football career was not to be rebuffed by a slip of a girl. The war delayed matters for a time, and George went and was good at that too. He was a major before he left Plattsburgh. For a time we feared that he was in danger of becoming a snob. But the great democratizing forces of the conflict carried him into the current. One of the most thrilling chapters in the book tells how he exposed his life under very heavy fire to go forward and rescue an American who turned out to be a Yale man. There was no stopping George Morton. In the end he wore Sylvia down. Nothing else could be expected from such a man. German machine-guns and heavy artillery had failed to stop him, and he had even hit the Harvard line, upon occasion, without losing a yard. His head was hard, and he could not take a hint. In the end, Sylvia just had to marry him. Her right-hand swing was not good enough. As in a dream, he went to her, and her curved lips moved beneath his but he pressed them closer so that she couldn't speak, for he felt encircling them in a breathless embrace, as his arms held her, something thrilling and rudimentary that neither of them had experienced before. And as we read the further details of the love scene, it seemed to us that George Morton had made a most fortunate choice when he decided to go to Princeton. His football experience stood him in good stead in his love-making, for he had been trained with an eleven which tackled around the neck. End of chapter 9